glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. John chapter 7, and I, I, we've referenced this verse so many times. Uh, it's a very important verse in our Bibles. I've underlined it in mine and put a giant star beside it. I don't often put stars besides verses in my Bible. There are certain issues that are very active and alive in our culture, so this verse is very helpful to me. John chapter 7, in the, let me just put this verse in context. In this verse, Jesus has gone up to the feast uh, uh, after his brethren, and there are people having all kinds of ideas about him. They're saying he's not the Christ because we know whence he has come. Uh, he is not the Christ because this man is not from Bethlehem. Will not Christ be born in Bethlehem? So they were. the people here are making a number of judgments about him based on appearance just based on the way things seemed to be. And I don't mean simply physical appearance, but how many of you know the way things appear to be is not often the way they are? Don't lose me here tonight. The way things appear to be are often not the way they are. We need to look beyond appearances, the way things hit our fleshly eye, and know the truth of things. Uh, It is very easy to assume things rather than dig down to the truth and find out what the truth is. And so many wrong judgments were being made concerning Christ because people made assumptions based on what they could see. So again, you had people there thinking he is not the Christ because he wasn't born in Bethlehem. He was. They didn't take the time to find out the truth. And so Jesus says this verse in the midst of that context. He says, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. One of the things that I noticed after moving to this part of the country, and I had seen it before, but it would be the way that the LDS religion presents itself. How many have noticed how neat and tidy and clean that religion presents itself? Whitewashed buildings, beautiful structures that look like churches. Uh, Even recently, they changed their spires to steeples. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Now, they did not put a cross on the steeple. They don't believe in doing such a thing. If you drive by an LDS building on a Sunday morning, it looks like the perfect picture of a Christian church. People walking in nicely dressed with black books under their arms. And if you were just watching, you'd say, well, there's a bunch of good Christians. They dress nice. They look nice. They have these nice families. The fact is they believe a false gospel. That religion has the spirit of Antichrist. And if you're judging merely by appearance, you'd say, I want to be part of that. I can step a little bit further there. Those in our community with very conservative values, and that's reflected in a lot that they do, we might say, well, those are good Christian people, but many of them believe that you are working your way to heaven. They have a false gospel. And yet, they are confident that they are Christian because of the way their appearance is in the community. I remember a business in Knoxville, Tennessee called Image Matters. Image Matters, meaning what you look like to the community is what is really important. You know what really matters? Honesty matters. Let me ask you this. If a company is honest, will that be reflected in their image? Well, of course it will. But can a dishonest company shield who they really are by an image? So, for instance, if I were a crooked car dealer, I'd call myself Honest Johns. Because it's on my sign, I'm honest. Surely you'll trust me, right? 
I heard of a, 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 a place the other day, and that was in the name. The name of it was something honest. And forgive me for being so skeptical, but I thought, they're probably a bunch of crooks. I'm sorry, that's just the way my mind works. I wish it didn't, but it does. So I thought, well, they're probably a bunch of crooks. If that, if they put the name in their sign, why did they feel the need to do that? It's like when someone comes up to you and says, I really love God. I want to say, what is your problem with God? Because you're covering. Sometimes, my dad has explained it this way, we overcompensate for things we know is wrong in our conscience, and we don't want you to know. So we overcompensate. Meaning, if a child has done something wrong with their mom and dad, all of a sudden, one of your children gets extremely sweet. As a parent, I say, (laughs) something's wrong. I smell a rat. Well, why? Because 9.999 times out of 10, the appearance is being put on to cover reality. They have something in their conscience that... It's not in my conscience, but they don't want it to be in my conscience. And sometimes we as God's people do the same thing. We've got something wrong in our soul. We have some area of our life that's not right with God, and we start doing things outwardly to cover for what's wrong with us inwardly. That's what the Pharisees did. They were adulterers. They were thieves. They loved money. They loved women. They were wicked men, but they wanted you to think... They were the cream of the crop. So what they did is they put long flowing robes on. They made broad phylacteries that represented the word of God. I mean, who with the Bible on your body would go around sinning? They did. They didn't just pray. They prayed long public prayers. And they even, before they would pray, would sound the trumpet. Because you needed to hear how these spiritual men prayed. They fasted often. Twice in a week, the man of Luke 18, the Bible says, I don't don't want anything to do with that religion. I don't like the idea of fasting twice in one week. There's there's my carnal confession. Fast twice in a week. They tithe of everything. They didn't just tithe. How many of you understand what straining at gnats and swallowing camels is? And inevitably, if you're going to be around Christian people, you'll see these patterns. In fact, you may see it in yourself that we get real finicky over some detail in the Bible over here to the ignoring of some detail in the Bible over here. And appearance is one of those issues we can do that with. Even as much as dealing with appearance is touchy because everybody can see it, sometimes people who've got appearance down can glory in that and to the ignoring of a real spiritual need. So I'm going to give you three things, as I said tonight, very simple about appearance, beginning with the caution we're given. I've almost really preached my first point. The caution given regarding appearance here in John chapter 7 is articulated over and over in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus Christ, our Savior, had a real problem with the Pharisees because they were not what they appeared to be. If I told you we got somebody that's going to show up here next week and boy, you know, they are a member of another independent Baptist church and they, they're going to be a visiting at our meeting and man, they don't miss a church service. They are in church every time the doors are open and they show up and they got a nice King James Bible and a shirt and a tie and she's dressed nicely and they look godly. What is the assumption we make? Those are fine Christian people. Well, they may be. That may be why all those things are in their life. But here's the caution. Judge not according to appearance. If those same people who attend church three times a week have a King James Bible, dress nicely, dress modestly, 
all those things are right, by the way. Praying, tithing, fasting are all right things. But if I'm doing all that while at the same time I have adultery and covetousness in my heart, I am a hypocrite. If what's on the outside is not a true reflection of what's on the inside, all I'm doing is covering filth. This is why our Savior had such a problem with the Pharisees. The outward appearance was nothing more than a cover of an inward corruption. May I say this? There's no level of outward correction that can change a man's heart. Now, I don't, I hate to reference a television show for an illustration, but it's so appropriate. I'm going to, we were talking the other day about Ernest T. Bass. He's a favorite character. If you, if you have ever watched Andy Griffith's show in your life, there's Ernest T. Bass. How many of you remember Andy and Barney decide they're going to change Ernest T.? And what they did is they bought him a suit and they combed his hair and they taught him phrases to use. And it didn't work. Remember what I'm talking about? Now, we try to do the same thing sometimes, and we we know, the people in this room know what I'm saying is true. You cannot change a man inwardly by cleaning him up outwardly. But nonetheless, we still are prone to do this in our own lives. To maintain what do we call it? Appearances. I believe this with all of my heart. The maintaining of appearances is rooted in the fear of man. How many of you have ever studied this about the Pharisees? Now, I've mentioned this. If you study the Pharisees, they were constantly fearing people. The Bible says they feared Jesus. They feared him because he exposed them for what they are. The Bible says they feared the Jews. They feared the people that they might, uh, they, they would have said what they truly believed about Jesus, but they feared that the people might stone them. They feared the Roman government. The Pharisees lived their entire lives based on the fear of man. Meaning they wanted men to be impressed with them and they could not bear the thought of that not being the case. May I say this tonight? I find this true on both sides of this issue of appearance. There are those who dress and behave and act and look and smell like the world because they're afraid of what the lost world will think of them. There are also people on the other side who are so afraid of not being admired by people that they'll clean up the appearance so people think they're godly. And on the extreme ends of both of this issue are people who live in the fear of man. I want a reputation. I want people to think I'm something I'm not. May God help everyone. By the way, the temptation to do this is in every one of us because we're in a body of flesh. To want the admiration. Sometimes what happens is we just shift who we want to admire us. Before we got saved, we wanted the world to admire us. When we first got saved, we wanted the world to think we were one of them. Now we want Christian people to admire us. Listen, we do not live for the admiration and applause of men. That's what was wrong with the Pharisees. That's why this warning was given in John chapter 7, verse 24. May I say this? Don't, you should never change your outward appearance simply because somebody put pressure on you. You should adjust your outward appearance to glorify and please the one who saved you in an effort to honor Him and show respect and honor for who He is and what He's done for you, in an effort to make sure we're not a stumbling block to a person coming to faith in the gospel. But it's not right either on either side of this to change what we do based on the pressure of men, but under the leadership of the Spirit of God when it comes to our appearance. So the caution regarding our appearance, the warning that is given, judge not according to the appearance, again, in the context of that, it is men appearing to be righteous, but truly not being. Matthew chapter 23, if you turn there, the Lord Jesus addresses this in detail. Matthew chapter 23, 
This is that great chapter where evidently the Lord Jesus is not afraid of men. He gives a bunch of woes. Uh, It's a rare person that can stand up under the preaching of Jesus Christ. He is not... um, He did not practice political correctness. He did not practice some... he, He just... He preached the truth with a heart filled with love for the Father first and for them for the hearers. And so you have a number of woes unto you pronounced in Matthew 23. Let's get a, uh, let's get this in context if you, if we might. Go back to verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude. We're talking about the, the, the caution we're given about appearance. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Meaning they're in a seat of authority. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe... That observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. So you do what they tell you, but don't do as they do. You ever heard somebody say, do, do what I say, not as I say, or do as I say, you know, do, do, do what I do, not as I do. You do what I tell you to do, not as I do it, meaning I'm a bad example, but do what I tell you anyway. Jesus basically says that about them. He says, you do what they tell you, but not like they do it, because they do things that they themselves won't, they tell you to do things that they won't do. Verse 3, or verse 4, For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do for to be what? Seen of men. Now, may I ask something? Does this sound like a contradiction? Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men. And he's turning around and chastising the Pharisees for doing what they're doing to be seen of men. Is that a contradiction? Oh, he's two completely different motives. Let your light so shine before men. Let men see you. Let men see what you do for God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Pharisees did not do what they did for God. They did it for the praise of men. All their works they do for to be seen of men. Verse 5, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feasts and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But be not ye called Rabbi. For one is your master, even Christ, and all your brethren, and so on and so forth. And so it says in verse 12, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself be exalted. Verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye that are entering to go in. He begins to chastise them for the sin that is within them. Let's move on down, if you would, uh, to verse 24, he said, ye blind guides, Matthew 23, 24, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Verse 26, thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter that the outside of them may be clean also. Verse 27 and 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear, there's the word, righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy 
and iniquity. How many you know that there is um, specific garb related to Catholic priests? How many of you know the image that is put forward in Hollywood for years of Catholic priests, that these are trusted individuals? I believe Phariseeism, whether it is in Catholicism, it gets into our Baptist churches, it's still alive and well today. Those who give an appearance of righteousness, those who give an appearance of being subdued and humble and whatever it may be, but are inwardly full of wickedness. And the Lord warns us, against this. So we have a warning against it, and the wisdom is judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Meaning, we need to understand that the truth of the matter is a man is made righteous by being born again, and that the outside should simply reflect the truth of the inside. And so I just begin with the caution regarding appearance. If we live to be seen of men, and again, here's how you know when somebody's living to be seen of men. Whatever the culture finds applaudable. Some find it applaudable to appear pious. Others applaud appearing to be like everyone else. But as I said at the beginning, we do not do as Christians what we do to be seen of men. We do what we do because God sees us and we do it before men. We are tempted to hide what we do for God from men because we, we they won't applaud that. And so then we have a caution regarding this. Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Oh, that God's people would learn this. Just you know, There's a lot of deceivers on our television screen with a Bible in their hand that have deceived a lot of people because someone judged according to the appearance. Oh, that's a man of God. And if you listen closely to them, they deny the Scripture. They live in an exact conflict with the Scripture. I remember for years and years... And I'm going to name some names. Before Jimmy Swaggart or Jimmy Baker, either one fell, people saying, those guys are charlatans. Do you know why? And I know at the same time there were people who said, oh, they're wonderful men of God. They were teaching error. They were misspeaking and misrepresenting God's word. And you can't do that and be a faithful preacher of God's word. So the caution regarding appearance, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Number two, the Apostle Paul will give some correction concerning a false perspective Regarding appearance, the Corinthian church was carnal. Remember the Corinthian church? The Bible says, Paul said, that they thought as men, that they were thinking simply from a physical, earthly perspective. And because of that, they had a wrong perspective regarding the subject of appearance. Look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Carnal people always get hung up on appearance. Just bear with me a little bit tonight. I'm going to give some, just some personal experience. I see polar opposites when it comes to Christian living, the way we do church. And so sometimes you have uh, some do church like this, very formal. Everything is very formal. So we have everything the same you know, every time. It's beyond decent in order. It is, we would call it high church. Okay, It becomes very, um, how shall we say, uh, I just call it high church. You, you, you find everything is very regimented. There's a lack. It may be nothing wrong with it inherently, but it really draws attention to how extremely well we can do things. All right? And it glories in the flesh. Over here, you have people that get really excited. And I would say the two, the two camps, the formalistic people, for the longest time, you could just about count on these folks are going to lean toward Calvinism. 
over here, the people that get all emotional and it's, boy, we know God moved tonight because people were crying and shouting and screaming. And they're going out living like the devil on Friday night, but boy, they got moved in church. God moved tonight. They lean toward charismatic doctrine. You can lose your salvation. And I've seen this in Baptist churches, the formalism and the absolutely, we just let things loose, you know, no restraint. And I've seen both polar opposites. You know, both of those, this group over here judges, boy, God moved tonight because everybody got excited. This group over here judges God moved tonight because everything went without a hitch. We were able to perform extremely well tonight. And the truth is, God didn't move in either one of them. This was flesh. This was flesh. When God moves, things are done God's way. You with me? Do you realize you can sit through a preaching service, with a, and I have, where the preacher doesn't get much beyond a whisper and God can move because he's faithful to the Word of God. And you can sit in a, in a church service where you're nervous because the preacher has such a steep accent you can barely understand him, and he is shouting and spitting and carrying on and saying things you'd never say, but he's faithful to the Word of God and God moved. You and I need to quit getting hung up if we do on style. If the style is ungodly, throw it out with, the, with last week's garbage. But if it's not, and it's true, and it's the Word of God, take it. You with me tonight? My point is this. We, are, we all need cautioned against judging or glorying in appearance, meaning there are certain appearances that might appeal to this crowd and certain appearances that might appeal to this crowd, and it's not about appearance. It needs to be about substance. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul had mentioned that whether we be sober, if you would, uh, let's, let's look back here at verse... Um, uh, verse 12, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them which what? Glory in appearance and not in heart, meaning they look like they are the perfect Christian. They may not be, but it's, it looks the way we think it should. They have a good demeanor. May I say this? In, a, in an American culture, we are very much like the Corinthian culture. It is a, it is a business culture. Uh, and so we, we often, we see something that's nice. It's appealing to the eye. It's appealing to us in some way. We think, that's good. Maybe, maybe not. How many have ever had to endure a preacher who was very rough in speech, meaning he was not eloquent, he couldn't link words together real well, butchered the English language, and if we're not careful, you know we do with a guy like that? So he does not have the touch of God on him, he's uneducated. D.L. Moody, he, he caught that all the time. There are people that would not cross the street to hear D.L. Moody preach because of how he mishandled the English language. I don't think anybody informed God that if you weren't good in English grammar, God couldn't use you. Because God used the man to turn the world upside down. And I believe for one reason, D.L. Moody had a heart that loved God. D.L. Moody was not of my stripe in some ways, but if you hear his testimony, the man believed that book was true, and he loved the God who wrote it, and he said, I'm just going to go preach what God said, and God used him in spite of his weaknesses. He was mocked for different things about his appearance. The Apostle Paul apparently says of himself that he is rough in speech. Not what was said about Apollos, who was an orator. But God used Paul and Apollos in Corinth, both. One an orator, one rough in speech. And God used them both. Meaning their appearance was very different. Their, their outward appearance, their deportment was very different. But they both had a heart for the Word of God. When Apollos was challenged with false doctrine, he changed. 
Aquila and Priscilla, Acts chapter 17, challenged him with some things he had wrong. All he knew was John's baptism. They took him aside, showed him the way of God more perfectly, and he corrected and God continued to use him. He had a good appearance, uh, an eloquent speech. But the point was this, as Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 5.13, For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Why does he mention in verse 13, whether we be beside ourselves or whether we be sober? That has to do with appearance. He said, there are those that glory in appearance, and I'm writing so you might know my heart for the Lord, not how I appear, whether I'm worked up or I'm calm. Either way, it's for the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's for your cause. My heart is for God. My heart is for you. And if we're not careful, we begin to judge. How many of you, do you think possibly in your life you missed something God had for you in a message because we got hung up on appearance? It didn't look right, didn't sound right, didn't feel right to what was mean. If it's not lining up with the Bible, reject it. But if it is, receive it. And so then he's reproving the Corinthians. He says, I'm going to correct something. So I'm going to write some things to you so that you may have an answer for those who glory. What did they do in appearance? They gloried in appearance. I believe this carnal thinking has crept into our Christian circles, crept into our Baptist churches, what happens is we, we, we put our stock in what somebody looks like on paper rather than what they are in their heart. And I believe God delights in using people whose heart is perfect toward him. I believe that because the Bible says it. Let me ask you this. If I said we have a young man, God's going to bring him into this ministry. He's just finished his master's degree in Bible college. He was saved at a young age. He's been training in church. He's served in church and... He just completed his master's degree in Bible college. What would be our natural assumption? What a godly man. Now, having those things doesn't mean he's not a godly man. But how many of us know godliness is not determined by those things on paper? Godliness is determined by the heart of someone toward the Lord. We need to understand that. So Paul reproves. He's really addressing what Jesus had cautioned against. He's correcting in the Corinthian church. There were those who gloried in appearance. They had a false a recognition of people based on the way they appeared to be, a false respect for the way people seemed to be. Second Corinthians 10, 7, he says this, Do ye look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trust to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. He said there are those that say, well, we're of Christ, and they validate that to you, and the best evidence they have is their outward appearance. You're looking on things simply after the outward appearance. That's not right. And so he's reproving them for judging based on appearance. Look, if you would, at James chapter 2. It's a perfect illustration of this. James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say to him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? You know what he's saying? You're judging according appearance, and not according to the truth. You are judges of evil thoughts, meaning your thoughts are evil in the way you're making your judgments. You know what? The fact of the matter is, is 
there are right things to do. And we'll get to that in just a moment. There's a commandment specifically given us about our appearance that we need to take heed to. But a godly appearance does not necessarily mean a godly person. If a person is godly, it will be reflected in appearance, but not maybe necessarily the way we think. Maybe not necessarily the way we judge. And so, uh, and don't lose me here tonight. I'll, I believe the message will be complete. we get to our final point. There's a caution given, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Let me ask you something. If you could be godly by simply looking godly, isn't that a lot easier than being godly? Absolutely. Look nice, dress nice, smell nice, speak nice, get all your words in order, don't ever use cuss words. Hey, you're godly. At least don't use cuss words where people can hear you. Let me ask you something. If every time you're alone, you're using foul language, are you godly? If the only time you restrict your language is when somebody's around that might get you in trouble, are you godly? If the only time you're reining in what you really feel and what you really think is when someone might get you in trouble for doing the wrong thing, is that really godly? No, godliness is living for God's eyes, for His approval at all time, in all places. And so then Paul says there are those of you who look on things after the appearance, meaning you're not even considering what's true, what someone's true character is. If they if they impress you with their appearance, if they look and sound impressive, boy, you're on board. I've watched my taste for preaching change over the years. There are men I used to love to hear preach, and I just really don't have time for them now. They're not bad men necessarily. But I noticed the ones that I used to really enjoy when I first started listening to preaching were very polished. Today, the ones I really enjoy listening to preaching are very substantive. Very substantive. You know as well as I do, I enjoy an outline. It helps me preach if it's outlined and it has, uh, if it's alliterated, that's helpful. But the truth is, it doesn't really matter if it's true. <laughs> it helps me and I hope it helps you. But the fact of the matter is, that doesn't make a man a good preacher, as you very well know. And I found in my own life today, the preaching that used to, I really wouldn't have had time for is more meaningful to me today because it comes from true hearts, I do believe. And so we need to be cautioning us judging according to appearance and not according to the truth. Uh, there's correction given if we glory in appearance, meaning we admire someone simply for the way they appear to be rather than over true godliness. That's a problem. And finally, we're given a specific commandment concerning our appearances. So we are never to do what we do in our appearance, to appear righteous before men when we're not. We are warned firmly against hypocrisy. But that is, that is, that is kept straight by this commandment in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 19 says, Quench not the Spirit. So again, we're living to please God. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Verse 21, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Is he not saying again, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment when he says prove all things? That's judging righteous judgment. Hold fast that which is good. But verse 22 says this, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. That verse covers so much territory. You know what? I should never... Let's say I'm immoral in my heart and I really work hard to appear to love my wife. I'm a hypocrite. But let's flip that coin. Because I love my wife, I should never put myself in a position that it appears that I'm being unfaithful to her. Adultery is evil and we should not even give that appearance. 
if it looks like adultery, stay away from it. You know how you can stay away from committing adultery? Don't even do what appears like adultery. Stay clear. I believe this. We know that drunkenness is evil. Then why mess around with anything that even looks like it? Why make jokes of it? Why make light of it? Abstain from all appearance of evil. We know that sodomy and lesbianism is evil. Then why should we even cross-dress in any way? It appears evil. You with me? We know that, let me put it this way. I have said this, use this illustration. I come in with studs in both ears. We know that multiple piercings is symbolic of idolatry. It has been for eons. So Christians should not do it. Why? Because it appears evil. Tattoos are, they, they are, they are synonymous with heathenism. And it doesn't matter if it says some Bible verse. It's, it appears evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks wrong, the Christian is supposed to stay away from it. We are not to appear righteous to cover evil, but may I say this, that is not permission to appear evil. Abstain from all, what? Appearance of evil. God says, I not only want, don't want you doing evil, I don't want you doing things that look like you're doing evil. Why? So people go... You're righteous. No. Because we love God and God never is okay with evil. God is a God of righteousness. And nothing in our lives should tell someone else it's okay to be evil. I don't believe that Christians ought to wear advertisements for sinful things. I believe it's a sin for a Christian to wear a t-shirt with a marijuana leaf on it. So why? What are they doing wrong? They're promoting evil. We don't not wear marijuana symbols on our T-shirts. Listen, I remember driving a bus. It was against the rule 10 years ago for a person to get on the bus with a marijuana plant on their person. I had a young man get on my bus when he had a marijuana belt buckle on. I turned him in and he was reproved for it. Why? They knew what he was promoting. That's in the public school system. Now, can't Christians get that right? How many people today are doing things like this and crying, Liberty. It's not liberty. It's sin. Let me ask you this. What is hard to understand about abstain? What does abstain mean? Stay away from. Don't mess around with. Don't touch it. Abstain from all appearance of evil. If you know in your conscience that, that something is evil, we shouldn't even do anything near it. Anything that looks like it. I believe this verse is so helpful in determining, should I do that or should I not? Would it cost you possibly your Christian testimony if you did? If people knew you were doing something or appearing a certain way, would it make someone think, man, I'm not sure what kind of person they are. I got news for you. If next week I grew my, you know, started growing my hair out and over the next year I grew it down on my shoulders, what little bit I have, it'd have to be a mullet, got me some earrings and a big old scraggly beard and changed my appearance, it would cause so much confusion. If I said, I'm not, nothing's changed. I'm going to preach the same doctrine. We're going to have the same standards of worship and service for God. But I, all things to all men, you know. I am in North Idaho. I want to fit in. I need a ponytail and a beard. And a tattoo. Does anybody think that'd be a little confusing? Now, I could justify it using my Bible, as many do. But you know what I'm not doing? 
I'm identifying with a crowd that identifies with evil. You know, I've said this. You can, you can fault me for this. There's good brethren who do this. I've, I've seen some good brethren. They go out and buy a Harley, and they grow them a, you know, a motorcycle rider beard, and they're good men. But I say, that's confusing, brother. That confuses me. How many of you know a Harley Davidson lifestyle is generally evil? And I'm just going to tell you where I stand. I think as people of God, just stay away from that. Don't make people wonder if you're running around on Friday nights. Don't make people wonder if you've started drinking booze and smoking pot and doing all kinds. Why even put that question? Should we not be distinctively living for God? Should not our appearance match what we stand for? Here's what the thing is. You and I can clean up outwardly and say, I'm going to make everyone think that I'm a Christian by the way I look. That's wicked. There's another side of that that says, you know what? Something may be evil, but I have liberty. True, but God said abstain from all appearance of evil. Does this make sense tonight? We're not to glory in appearance. We're not to appear for the praise of men a certain way. We're not to do what we do to be seen of men. But we're also not to do things that will cause men to advocate evil. We should not do anything that would cause disregard for God's word, disrespect for the things of God. We ought to appear and conduct ourselves in such a way that it is a testimony to the faithfulness and goodness of God not a discredit, either through glorying in appearance, judging according to appearance, or through our appearance, advocating or promoting evil. And so tonight, these things on appearance, as we continue, I just I want things to be clear. As we teach about the appearance of the Christian, you can change your appearance, but if you don't change your heart, we're just a hypocrite. That's all there is to it. But on the flip side of that, if you truly do have a right heart, Reflect it in your life by abstaining from all appearance of evil. I've said it in this best way I can understand it. You can cover inward sin by outward righteousness. But you cannot conceal inward righteousness by outward sin. What's inside of you, if you're godly on the inside, then it will show up on the outside by living a life that is for the eyes of the Lord and not for the eyes of men. 